we're definitely seeing a lot of consumption for investment purposes in Europe. I mean, Germany with their um, still living history of the, the death of their currency and Lots of people in America are asking questions about what is money, not just are the banks safe, but what actually is a dollar. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics as we continue digging into the silver world. A week ahead of the Federal Reserve's next meeting, and so far has been a bit of a quiet trading week in silver and gold. And some of the other financial markets as a lot of attention being placed on what the Fed is or isn't going to do in just a couple of days. Although, fortunately, there are always a lot of dynamics going on in the silver world, things to think about, and fortunate to be joined by a good friend of mine who is also a silver and gold bullion dealer and on the verge of a grand opening of his new silver and gold store in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And this is, of course, Ian Everard of Arc Silver Investments. And Ian, great to have you back on the show. Nice to finally meet you in person last year at the Silver Symposium. And thanks for making some time to join me. Congratulations on the new store. And how's everything going with you today? Thank you, Chris. Um, yeah, a lot of hard work. Uh, Jackson is a hard town to get anything built. If you, if you want it done and you want it done well, you have to do it yourself. So I've been working around the clock. <laughs> doing the, the shop fitting, the cabinet work and the flooring and yeah, everything. Well, so it's go good to have a little break. <laughs> yeah, well, it's handy. I know you have a background doing some construction projects as well. And nice to see that you've gotten the store up and running. And I know we did have one condition on today's interview, which was that you're obviously going to keep us posted if later this summer, Ben Bernanke or Jerome Powell comes into pick up some gold and silver on lunch break, correct? Yeah, or, or I might just have to borrow a black suburban and sneak into the resort because there'll be hundreds of black suburbans full of security guys. So I might be able to just sneak in and um, have, a, have a quiet word. How close are you to the Fed's party headquarters? Oh, they're only about three, four miles away from here. Yeah. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see if anyone from the the uh, company comes by and interested in some precious metals. We'll we'll see how things are looking by that point in the cycle. Um, before we dig into silver, any thoughts you'd like to share or forecast or what you expect next week out of the Fed or anything else regarding their interest rate hikes that we've seen for the past year? Oh my, Chris, it, it's it, it's do we take them seriously or not? I mean. There's sort of two main points of view. They're a bunch of, I don't know, clown clown world, and they don't don't know what they're doing, or they know exactly what they're doing. Um, but it, it just seems to be whatever they do harms the people and and enriches their their puppet masters. So I guess we do have to sort of take notice. But long term, I I, I think actually that they're going to become an, an irrelevance. I think mathematics and gravity will, will take over. They can only play at being masters of the universe for, for so long. And then we'll realize, you know, how, how actually little control they have. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And perhaps these things take a little bit longer to play out than sometimes, especially here in the gold and silver community, we might like, um, because, well, they're still raising interest rates and, 
had had some banking issues earlier this year, but things somewhat still intact. Uh, you have a lot of unanswered questions in terms of escalating debt loads, who's going to be funding this, um, how we're going to pay interest expenses at these higher interest rates, and a whole bunch of other issues that pop up that lead so many of us into gold and silver. And Ian, I'm going to pull up our silver chart here and go back to the one-year chart because as i mentioned we got to meet in person really at the absolute bottom of the rally yeah. and if we actually take a look at the five-year chart we see earlier in 2022 silver got actually above 26 dollars at one point before fed starts raising interest rates we see this big drop down in the silver and gold prices i think we were together on the absolute bottom of that cycle Curious first, your thoughts on what we've seen where even with the Fed still raising interest rates, we've seen quite a rally over the past half year, almost three quarters of a year since last September, dipped down a little bit earlier this year than we had banking issues. So how much do you think of this as being driven by the Fed or what, what do you think is accounted for the fact that even while they've been increasing rates, we, we've still seen some rebound in silver? Well, I, I guess on the big picture, I'm I'm siding or agreeing more and more with um, the amazing Dave Cranslow, and he he he'd repeatedly say he he wasn't sure how far you could drive something. He was more of the persuasion you can push it in in the direction it's moving. Um, but but yeah, I mean that recovery from eighteen to what are we twenty three twenty three and a half now? It it's. Although there is a lot of control and a lot of manipulation, it is a worldwide market. The the, the consumption is worldwide. Um, and I, I think we're definitely seeing a lot of consumption for investment purposes in Europe. I mean, Germany with their um, still living history of the, the death of their currency. And lots of people in America are asking questions about what is money, not just are the banks safe, but what actually is a dollar? If it is safe in a bank, well, what is it? Um, and, and I think we've got at least another year. If, if we don't have another banking crisis for a year, maybe people will start to, to, to stop thinking about it again, but I can't see that happening. I, I think the, 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 the underground the base plan the federal reserve is to consolidate the banking into the, the top top six banks and and therefore drive the ownership of the federal reserve into fewer and fewer hands i mean just just with jp morgan now i think they're holding 13 percent of all u.s retail deposits fundamentally against the law um they could have easily just formed another bank or they could have parceled up the, the banks that failed across the other banks, but no, they went to the biggest bank. So are, are people going to get gain, gain more confidence in the dollar in the banking system? I, I don't think so. I think too, too many people know now and too many people... Once you wake up and know, it, it never goes away. Even if at the time you find out you can't really do much about it. When I found out about the, the liar fiat currencies, we, we could only buy five, 10, maybe 25 ounces at a time, maybe once a month, or maybe you'd have to wait six months before we could buy another tube of coins. And I, I remember in England, I'd call around the dealers and trying to find some 
that I didn't have to pay VAT on. You, you, once start once you have that change of attitude, you know you just keep on buying and you keep on stacking. You you don't sell. You just keep on buying and piling it up. So I think there's too many people doing it now for fundamentally the investment demand of silver to. I, I think it could easily exceed the whole mine, the whole mine and recycling production. I mean, literally, that that's only one ninth of an ounce per person on the planet. Yeah, and uh, interesting, you mentioned the bank consolidation because earlier on Wednesday, we did have a note out from Janet Yellen herself <laughs> saying she wouldn't be surprised to see more bank consolidation. Also interesting that she was mentioning issues in commercial real estate sector, which do not look good with a large chunk of debt being scheduled to roll over this year and next year. And Ian, I agree with what you're saying, where it does seem to be a growing amount of people that are concerned about some of the issues that are out there. Although one thing I think about from time to time is that certainly within the gold and silver community, a lot of us become increasingly alarmed by what we're seeing, yet still overall as a percentage of the greater population, still a, a lower demographic numbers wise. What do you think it takes before this is something that affects people who aren't looking at these things at all? Um, do you think that we're going to see just a complete unraveling of the banking system or what do you think it is that changes the dynamic on a broader scale? Oh, what a big question. So I'm convinced they're going to consolidate dramatically and we're going to lose most of the regional banks. I mean, just what you mentioned there on the commercial real estate, it's the small regional banks hold the bulk of the loans, that they're the bag holders of that. And a lot of the the real estate investment trusts, um, they have uh, just walk away clauses. If they don't, if, you know, they can stop paying the loan and they can walk away of no consequence. And then the bank has to make the decision. And we've seen some sell offs where the property's been sold at 50, 50 cents on the dollar. Um, so, I mean, we're talking trillions of dollars these regional banks could be hit with, and that will finish off a, not just one, two, or three, that will finish off thousands of regional banks. That will consolidate in, into the into a few banks, and what that does, that then consolidates the access to information, and it's the information of what people are doing with their, with their money gives power and control. And we, we saw that in Russia um, after the, the, the revolution, right up into the... I think it was 89, 90, there was just one bank in Russia. So it wasn't digital, it wasn't digitized, it was handwritten ledgers. But the, the, the one, one group of people, one small group of people knew what everyone and every business in the country was doing with, with the ruble. That, that's what they're aiming for, so that we don't even have to go full CBDC to get, get more and more control and more and more. And with more and more control comes more and more financial repression. And, and I think people will wake up and realize that. And it's the, you know, the only answer is um, tangible assets that you, you hold. And so with that said, what role do you see gold and silver playing going forward? Do you think we're going to have pockets of barter environment or just used as a store of wealth or with that shift happening, which certainly I could see of consolidation in banking, whether 
whether we do get a central bank digital currency. I know the Fed is launching their Fed Now plan uh, next month, in fact. So maybe when they stop into your store for some gold and silver, you can see how that one is going. But with those trends happening, in what way do you see us actually using gold and silver? It's happening. It's happening here, Chris. Um, I've bought six gallons of honey last summer for silver. That's enough honey for five or six years worth of honey. Um, I've got a friend who's helping out evenings, finishing the store off. I'm paying him, him silver. I've got a web guy. Um, I often pay him in silver. Uh, on and on and on. Um, I've got a local garage. If I need something a bit more complex or I, that, that I can cope with on one of my vehicles, I pay them in silver. It, it's It's here. Well, I know there's a lot of people that are moving in that direction, and it will be interesting to see how that progresses. Um, one of the things that we have talked about, uh, I think we mentioned a little earlier today before we started recording, though, is that we're seeing some inventory drawdowns. We're seeing not a ton of new silver coming onto the market. Do you foresee that becoming an issue at some point as well, uh, especially with COMEX getting lower as now? under 28 million ounces, we're running a deficit. Do you do you see a, a gap in the silver supply or some sort of shortage as one of the factors that will lead into some of these changes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the annual report, the Silver Institute, I mean, it, it basically it showed us that the last two years deficit wiped out the, the previous decade's surpluses. And and, and and their reports are always a little bit dubious because they seem to just guess what the recycling is because there is there isn't actually any accurate data for the amount of recycling and it always looked like previously to the last two years it to me it looked a bit like they would tweak the recycling so to make sure there wasn't a, def a deficit showing and it's um but I mean, you you talk to the miners, you talk to other dealers. You know, you know when people buy it as insurance rather than just an investment, you hold that insurance. It, it's a permanent act. You're not buying it to speculate. So you know, you'll buy it at eighteen and you'll sell it at twenty three, and then you'll buy it at twenty three and sell it at twenty eight. You just buy it. You put it away. It's. I, 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 you know, I, I, I keep repeating this to people. I think too many people know now and too many people are acting. We have so many first-time clients, um, hedge fund people, bankers, truck drivers, mechanics, farmers, all walks of life, um, large purchases, small purchases, who'd never purchased before. We have churches who are taking some of their reserves and putting them into gold and silver. Corporations, insurance companies, businesses are doing it i mean obviously we saw palantir didn't we in denver they they bought a substantial amount of gold two years ago i understand that tesla changed their articles so they could hold precious metals on their on their books um samsung have got that long-term deal with avino mines to, to purchase silver yeah. all of these okay if one was happening and but all these all of these layered together mean it's not just increased demand, but it's increased demand, but it's not gonna that metal is not coming back on the market. I have I have some clients who expressly tell me they are buying silver to give to their grandchildren. Yeah. Well, their children are probably gonna live another 30 or 40 years. 
So it's going to skip them and go to the grandchildren. That's locked up for a quarter of a century or more. I, you know, I think it's unprecedented the number of people who are purchasing precious metals now. Uh, what, what, you know, I mean, obviously, probably there's episodes in Germany and Austria um, that are pretty extreme. We saw, we saw that recently in Austria that the the Austrian mint couldn't produce enough gold philharmonics just for the people who are queuing up to buy them over the counter. It's um, the rabbit's not going back in the hat now. People, too many people understand that the lie of fiat currencies. Yeah, and certainly that escalated a bit over these past couple of months when we did see some of those regional banks go down. I uh, don't think you've been on the show since then. So I was curious if you could share what your experience was like from the dealer side in March and April when some of that was happening and we saw a jump in premiums and a lot of new people entering the space and anything you could share from your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'll touch on the last point first, the, pre the premiums. Unfortunately, the wholesale premiums didn't actually jump that much. Um, apart from on the Eagles and the Maples for a short while. But a lot of the big uh, retail companies were, were milking the, the extra demand because people, they were basically pricing to what the market would bear. Um, so, so, yeah, but generally as the, the response to the banking crisis, yes, there's a lot of people were, were thinking, oh, I've got $20,000 in this account. It's been there for forever. Um, it, it was earning 0.01% and they've taken it out and turned it into metal. Yep. I hear a lot of people uh, really had their eyes open by what we saw in the past few months. And in terms of the supply, something else you mentioned before we hit the recording button, you have a view of what some of the miners might do as this situation escalates, especially as we one day see silver break past that $30 level and, Perhaps you could share what you were thinking there. I thought it was interesting. Sure. Yeah. I mean, these these thoughts gelled. I, I attended the Society of Mining Engineers conference in New York, and I got the chance to to talk to some some miners, some explorers, um, some of the mining legends as well. It was a it was a great occasion, and um, I'm fundamentally convinced at some point. Um, let's give silver for examples. Say it breaks thirteen. It's thirty two, thirty three dollars. But they're all in sustaining costs and a healthy profit and paying off all debt and paying dividends out and maybe even taking the company private. They only need $25 to $30 an ounce, say. Why would they then sell more for dollars for losing their purchasing power? It, it would make zero sense. They, you know, either they would not mine it, they would keep the ounces in the ground or they would mine it and then dig another hole and bury it. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's what a vault is, isn't it? It's a hole in the ground. Yeah. Um, so they've got several options. They could ease up their production rate. I mean, heck, it's what OPEC does, isn't it? You know, they restrict why, why sell our oil, you know, cheap. And, and if oil goes really high, um, they have no incentive to pump more oil at some point. So I think there's there's a tipping point, there's a dynamic that will kick in, um, and it could be thirty dollars, it could be thirty two dollars, but my hunch it's around that thirty thirty two dollars point where the miners will wake up, and not just the primary silver miners, the the copper zinc lead that get in the silver as a byproduct, 
and and they'll think, well, we we might as well just bank this and keep this. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens and what changes as we get above that $30 level has felt like a bit of a line in the sand over the past couple of years. Obviously, we've seen a couple of companies withhold some of their silver production. I know there's some other companies that don't quite look at it in the same way, um, but it would be interesting if we see some more of them withholding the production. And any any thoughts on when we will see that $30 level breached, Ian? I, I think, oh, okay. I think this year, I think we'll see $30 yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, and um, due, due to banking issues or for what specific scenario? I, I think physical shortages. I think we're going to see some drama on the COMEX that they're not going to be able to supply or, or they'll have favoured clients that they'll supply. We, we, we'll see some um, shenanigans going on there. Um, I, I mean, it's been brewing for a long time. I mean, two two years ago, the European refiners were buying thousand ounce bars on the secondary market and reselling them. You know, you know, I think that could well have been they couldn't get enough mine product to make enough bars to sell to their clients. Obviously, they had a big market for thousand ounce bars. Um, so. Yeah, I, I continue to wonder about that because I remember well back shortly after the silver squeeze, we had that fascinating report from uh, LBMA that came out where they mentioned they were weeks away from running into an issue, had the demand continued like that. And a couple of months after that, which uh, Rick Rule has talked about more recently, but in the following months, they through the Sprott Trust, he talks about how they were cleaning out a couple different cities of their silver inventory. So wonder how close things got then. And of course, in the year since then, we had that big chunk of 300 million ounces taken out by India last year. So it makes you wonder some days how close things are to becoming an issue again. And uh, we shall see on that. Ian, one other thing I wanted to ask you before we're going to bring on a guest who is at your store today to talk about another metal that you've come across, which I thought might be of interest to uh, many of our viewers. But before we get to that, you and I were talking about the BRICS and the de-dollarization movement last week. Yeah. And I know you have a bit of a different perspective than what a lot of people that I have on the show or talk with are seeing. So uh, perhaps you could... Tell people if you see that as a true threat to the dollar or what, what you make of the whole de-dollarization BRICS movement. Okay, let's have a look at BRICS. So let's start with China. Okay, we, we think we've debased our currency. They've gone three to five times the extent of debasing the yuan. Uh, and, and it's very, very secretive, but it, it will filter out. We've got incredible stresses in their real estate industry. Um, I cannot see that you can recover from that. I mean, they have laws that um, uh, a construction company cannot reduce the price of a new apartment because it will affect the, the area. But what if they just never, they, they just can't sell? So the number of sales are dropping rapidly. And then the amount of repossessions are just huge. And that's on the secondary market. That does affect the market. 
that has a knock-on effect that the, all of the local regions, I think up to 70% of their income comes from selling the leases for the land that the developers develop. Well, if the developers are going down and they are, they're not buying more, they're not leasing more land. So there's a whole regional debt crisis and there's a whole load of shadow debt that's not on the books. It, it's China is in a complete mess economically. It's in a mess politically. You know, you've got one man who thinks he can run the whole country. The the number of bad decisions he's making, you know, they're building railways to nowhere. They're building stadiums for 20,000 people that only have 2,000 people. It just goes on and on and on. The the, the waste and the misallocation of resources in China, it's just absolutely extreme. Um, There was a documentary um, put out by a British... Um, broadcaster Robert Peston years ago and it was called How China Fooled the World. He toured China and he just went through areas and said look they spent 10 million on this 20 million on this, it it will never get paid for, it will never produce the income and then if you add their demographic situation, they're just running out of workers literally. Uh, The average fertility rate now is 1.2 children per childbearing woman their population is dying out. And then if you look at them, look at their um, agricultural issues, they either seem to be permanently in drought or, or flood. And then again, going back to the, the misallocation of resources, they had a 20-year program of planting trees on mountainsides, of you know, build, building forests. Now Z's ordered they all be cut down. Um, so they're getting huge floods, rivers are silting up, dams are silting up. The, the whole country, the, there's nothing going right for China. So that I cannot see that they can be a threat. And uh, at the moment, the yuan represents just two, two and a half percent of all transactions done globally are done in yuan. It, it's tiny. And anytime they have tried to open it up so more tra- transactions can be done, it can be more an open financial economy. Billions of yuan leave, flee China, and you look at, look at the number of Chinese people trying to get out of China. I mean, the ones that can't get visas to um, to, to get into the US um, are fleeing, are paying hundreds of tens of thousands of yuan to get to Ecuador and working their way up north to come across the southern border into America. You wouldn't have mass people those mass people trying to flee, and they're the wealthy people who can afford to pay the people smugglers. So I can't see that there is any any threat from from the so-called BRICS. Um, R- Russia, and okay, this is controversial. I think a lot of people think Russia is going to win in Ukraine, but uh, it seems like the whole of NATO is lined up against 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 Russia. You know, in in this situation, uh, it, yes, the the war the war, war the invasion was provoked. I agree that was provoked. Um, but it doesn't doesn't excuse just blowing up cities, just a scorched earth policy. So I think Putin is going to be punished for for that. I, I can't see with the amount of weapons now being being sent over there, um, advanced missiles and um, man launched weapons, um, the, the drone technology. So it's not going to end well for Russia. So there is no real Russia or China in the BRICS. Well, that leaves Brazil. Well, Brazil is highly dependent on Russian fertilizer. Well, that's just not 
gonna gonna carry on happening. So Brazil is gonna have food shortage, food issues. So that just leaves India in the middle there, and South Africa at the end. Well, South Africa always seems to be at war itself; it never seems to get organised. Uh, and then it leaves India. Well, India's got huge water issues, lack of water, um, but I think they'll do okay. And, and then you add to that, we are deglobalizing. China is not going to be the world's factory anymore. Uh, you know, a big company started leaving China in 2009. I think it started with Nike moved moved out. And just recently, Samsung have finally shut down all mobile phone production in China. It's all moving to Thailand, Vietnam, and other Pacific nations. And, and to Mexico. You know, Mexico is booming. The North Mexico industry is picking up a lot of trade. So I, I think, unfortunately, there is a lot of propaganda. And it's been proven. It's been tracked. Um, Beijing does pay um, companies who pay companies to pay YouTube channels to mention de-dollarization, to mention petro yuan. You know, there are you can track, you can see payments that have been made to, to some 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 pretty influential in influencers. Um, and unfortunately, I think people latch onto it. Um, so the, the dollar's not going to die in in that way, but it's definitely going to carry on dying in purchasing power. You know, which is the very reason so many of us have come to the conclusion that if you want to keep your purchasing power and keep your privacy, you, you get out of the dollar. But it's going to do do a lot better than all of the other countries. I mean, we, we could talk at length, you know, about Brent Johnson's dollar milkshake theory. And I think he's he's caught some good, good points. If you if you have it, it's well worth looking at what, what Brent Johnson has to say about where the dollar's going. Um, it's still going to lose its purchasing power, but I, I cannot see that there's any meaningful threat to it. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And certainly the conditions in a lot of the other countries, not ideal either. A any thoughts on how you expect China ultimately deploys a lot of the gold that it's been hanging on to and importing and purchasing, though? I think history could repeat. I think the leaders could flee with it. That's what happened in, in, the, in the communist revolution, isn't it? They fled to the Philippines. They took all the gold. I wouldn't be surprised if Z loads it all up and tries to disappear somewhere. <laughs> like, I think they'll. I think the 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 people in power will, will steal it and run away with it. I I can't see they're going to ever back a currency, but it's redeemable because they they would just lose it all. I mean, heck, we tried that from 1934 to 1970, and it cost us 14,000 tons. Uh, you know how how much more now when there's 55 times more currency than there than there was in 1980? Can you imagine if if it was redeemable at a fixed rate and basically a, it would be at a discount, wouldn't it? It would have to. It would, in effect, it would be at a discount. You know, and, and then there's a point, well, can you actually fix gold now? Can you peg a currency to gold? I, I don't think we can. I just don't think it's possible. Yeah, well, we will see in the coming years how a lot of these things play out. I, I do think there's a growing tendency towards a lot of these other nations being frustrated with how the dollar is being used, and perhaps rightly so, and I think represents the issue we're in where a lot of different nations see that there's a problem think we're in the space of seeing what the alternative is and i don't know that anyone knows that for sure yet and we'll see if uh the bricks do eventually get some sort of basket backed by commodities that is used as a settlement mechanism and interesting points you raised there though and appreciate what you shared and with that said 
perhaps Ian, we could bring in our guest Scarlett from the Osmium Institute because one thing that I know you were excited to talk about today that you're going to be doing at your store is in addition to gold and silver and the precious metals, you are going to be the first retail Osmium dealer in the U.S. And joining us to tell us a little bit more about Osmium is Scarlett, who is wearing some beautiful Osmium earrings and a necklace as well to show uh, exactly what Osmium looks like. And Scarlett, welcome on in. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you guys? Well, we're doing good. And I, I know you were listening there in the background. And perhaps you could uh, tell people who may not have heard of Osmium before exactly what it is and uh, just a little bit of an introduction there. Uh, well, of course, let us uh, start by showing yeah. it, actually, because uh, then um, people can get an impression because this is crystalline Osmium and this is the material we're talking about. It is one of the eight precious metals. So there's gold, silver, palladium and platinum. Rhodium, iridium, ruthenium, and osmium. And osmium is the rarest. It's the rarest non-radioactive element on Earth. And it usually doesn't look like this. So this pretty version of it is only available for about a decade now because um, a crystallization uh, company in Switzerland found this process as the only one in the world to crystallize osmium in this controlled flat manner and structure which can be used in jewelry and as a tangible asset investment. And it's already been growing quite nicely in the last few years in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and from there towards Europe. And now we're currently expanding into the US and with Ian here and Jackson Hole, we're having our first flagship store uh, in the United States, which we're really excited about. Yeah, and again, that store going to be opening this Saturday. What What is the date, Ian? Uh, is the 10th? The 10th, yeah. <laughs> All right, and we will mention where that is before we wrap up. But Scarlett, you said that primarily right now, osmium being used for jewelry and investment purposes? That's correct. So I, I brought a few jewelry examples uh, just so that people can get an idea. So it's mainly used as a substitute for a pavé. This inside here, which looks like a diamond carpet in jewelry lingo that's called a pavé, is not diamonds, but it is crystalline osmium outside here. We do have diamonds, though. This is, for example, a piece that has been created by Miriam Sasilas from um, the UK. Or um, there's also pieces that are now being created for the Indian market, where you can see here in this elephant brooch, you can see its sapphire eyes and also the um, osmium inlays in the head. So you can basically use it as a stone in um, jewelry, where you usually would set diamonds or ruby or a gemstone you can set Osmium. And uh, a few really big brands have already worked with it. Uh, to give you a few examples, um, it's mainly watch brands. This is uh, Ulysse Nardin, Hublot, Chapek. So like really the high-end Swiss watch brands have already used it. Then there's companies creating headphones with it. Um, Ultrason, I think I have a pair here. I brought them here too, there we go. Or the most expensive violin in the world has been introduced a few uh, weeks ago in Austria, featuring over 500 pieces of Osmium in this. These are the headphones. So there's definitely a lot of um, jewelry and luxury application for it. But the main market is the tangible asset investment market. And the reason for that is twofold. Uh, first of all, or threefold, basically. First of all, it has the highest value density of all the precious metals. So if one wants to uh, diversify their portfolio with another precious metal, then it's a very interesting go-to strategy. 
The second one is, it is, as I said, the rarest non-radioactive element on Earth. So there's only about one cubic meter that we can actually mine, not more than that. So I guess most of you and probably most of the viewers will be sitting at a desk. Most likely all the osmium in the world that you can mine would fit under that desk. And that's it, not more than that. This is still 22,000 kilograms because the density is so high. It's also the densest material on earth. But there you can see the relation uh, like to, to gold or to silver or um, to, to diamonds too. So this is the second very interesting part. It's scarcity. And the third one, which is probably the most intriguing one, I'll just grab a piece here. Um, by the way, this is how packagings are usually looking when they're coming from Germany. And uh, you have different sizes, you have different shapes. You can buy pieces as tangible asset, but also pieces which are made for the jewelry market and already pre-cut in, um, in that form that is needed. And let me just grab here one of these pieces. So here, for example, we have, whoops, should have done this prior. It's very uh, precisely packed for the travel experience that I had. There we go. Cause I just came from the Las Vegas Couture Show, jewelry show. So this here, for example, is a small Osmium A. And uh, it's been obviously cut not for um, tangible asset investment, but for jewelry purpose. And when I scan this little piece, because you can see there's a QR code here, and down here you have an osmium identification code, OIC. When I now scan the piece, give me a second, then this is the actually most important part also for tangible asset investment, because every single piece is 100% unique, like a human fingerprint, just 10,000 times as precise. So I just scanned the piece. I'm entering now the Osmium World Database, which by the way, has been set up with custom authorities around the globe, also the US custom authorities. And uh, this is the OIC, the Osmium Identification Code. In this case, it is the letter A. You can see the weight, you can see the measurements, you can see the current net price. So this piece would be around 150 euros net. But the most interesting part is when I call up the scan here, we have 3D height scans and we also have the scans 2D from above. And this is only loading very slowly here, but this is what we're talking about. This is the crystalline structure that is more precise than a human fingerprint. So again, this here, the scan is this little A that we're having here and it makes it absolutely unforgeable. So it's the only unforgeable precious metal or actually tangible asset investment there is because uh, you can, a, it has the highest density. You can't mix anything else in it. But B, it is uh, every single piece is 100% unique. And you can tell with every single piece that it's the real one and it's not like a fraud or a copy. And this is what makes it so intriguing because there is no forged osmium in the market or no forged crystalline osmium anywhere in the market. You said that the entire supply of all the osmium we found so far could fit on your desk. Uh, no, that actually can be mined. So um, there, there is about 17 cubic meters estimated in the Earth crust, but there's only about one cubic meter that can be mined. This is because osmium is so rare, you can't mine for it by itself. You always have to mine it as a byproduct, mainly platinum mining. And in 10,000 tons of platinum ore, you'll find about 30 grams of osmium. So I, I always like talking in pictures because I feel numbers are sometimes a little bit confusing. You have a, a, an autobahn, a German highway, one where you can speed <laughs> up to the uh, horizon, three lanes full with trucks. 
all of these trucks are full with platinum ore, you'll find a sugar cube of osmium in there. Unfortunately, not as a sugar cube, but in single atoms. Um, and this is the rarity of it, but this is already a ratio where it is worthwhile to extract the osmium to A, make the platinum pure and B, get the osmium. And so this one cubic meter that I've been talking about earlier, which is 22,000 kilograms around about, this is the amount that is estimated to be extractable at all, like forever, basically, because it is allocated together with platinum. Now that platinum mining is decreasing a little bit because of increased electric mobility in cars, it might even be less. Who knows? And the osmium that has been mined, where is that coming from? Uh, well, everywhere you can find platinum, but mainly South Africa, Kazakhstan, the Ural area. There's also some in Canada and Australia, but uh, definitely the, the biggest hub is uh, South Africa and the Ural area. Okay. Well, again, it certainly looks quite beautiful and... Uh... Like I it. know it's the, the rarest of the eight precious metals. Scarlett, perhaps uh, you could let folks know where they can find you if uh, for people who are new to Osmium might want to find out more about it or some of the research that you guys are doing at the Osmium Institute. Exactly. So the Osmium Institute tells a little bit about, about what we're doing. We also have a huge analysis uh, program and analytics program that we're running with uh, international universities. The main website to inform yourself just about the material itself will be the uh, www.osmium.com, where you can just go on and find out everything you want to know about the material. And uh, obviously, if you are located in the United States, then we have someone here who is an expert and who already has osmium here in the United States. We're already in 40 countries um, with over 1,300 partners who are working with us. And uh, yeah, we're basically are able to ship anywhere in the world. And if there's questions, there's an international hotline that people can call. And we're always happy to help when there's any questions or uh, information that is required. Well, appreciate that. Appreciate you joining us on the show, telling us a little bit about the market. And Ian, uh, perhaps before we wrap up, you could let folks know about your silver and gold store that you have the grand opening on this Saturday, June 10th in Jackson Hole. Um, let people know where they can find you on the web and also anything you could share that you have going on for the opening this weekend. Yeah, so yeah, we're working hard to be ready. We're gonna have a fun time. It's gonna be very relaxed. Um, we've got lots of people traveling from all over the place already. Um, uh, wow, wow, you asked me a lot of questions there. I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the osmium. I just want to sort of- You're getting distracted by the sparkle there. Yeah, can I just zoom back in on that? Just, just to do a US translation, a three foot, three inch cube, that is the practical osmium that's gonna be recovered in its raw metal form. It, it, that's not a lot of metal. You know, we think silver's gonna run out. Heck, I mean, the osmium could run out before silver. So if you if you wanna have a little side bet on another horse, I mean, get get a piece of this osmium. I mean, seriously, one, you know, a cubic meter, 39 inch cube, just under 23 tons. I think I mean, we finally found something you might like even better than silvery, and I didn't. Wow. <laughs> it is beautiful, and and as Scarlett said, the ten thousand times more secure than your fingerprint. So it's a fusion of precious metal, blockchain, hash graph, you name it, and beauty, you know, because it's incredibly beautiful. 
It's fusing so many things into one thing. And literally, I mean, what's the euros on that? 100,000 euros for this disc? This one here, yeah. That's around uh, 80,000, I think. 80,000 euros. So 65, $70,000. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty insane. And with Osmium, you can carry the worth of a, of a one-family home in your, in your pocket. Yeah. With, with silver, it'll take off your pants. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So Can we see how cool. thick that is? Maybe hold up on the side. Okay, that's, about that's, that's a pretty thin one. Sixteenth of an inch. But yeah. you, you know the feeling when you grab a gold bar and it's much heavier than you would think it is and your brain's yeah. like, huh? This is like the same happens with, with crystalline osmium because it is the densest material on earth. There's nothing denser than it. 22.61 gram per cubic centimeters. So, uh, yeah, it's like... It's definitely something, and uh, we're just ex as excited about it as, as Ian is. So, yeah, I think, yeah, that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, I mean, silver is my first passion, precious metals always will be, because it's the people's money, and it will be the people's money again. Um, but I'm excited to just to talk to people about osmium. It, it, it's not an either or. You, you need, you, we, everybody needs both. Yeah. And Ian, where uh, can people find the store if anyone is going to be in the Jackson Hole area this coming Saturday? Uh, where, where do they come find you? Yeah, we're on the corner of South King Street and East Pearl Street, opposite the town hall and the fire station. Okay, and can you tell people the website one more time? So if they want to look you up on there and find out, again, in addition to Osmium, of course, Ian does have gold and silver as well, but... Can you just share the website where people can get more information? Yeah, we are arcsilvergoldosmium.com. All righty. Well, Ian, congratulations on everything you've accomplished in a short period of time. I know you were doing gold and silver for a while, but great to hear that you have a store now and you're inviting people in this Saturday. Really happy for you that that you've, you've gotten this far and... Um, Especially exciting that you'll maybe have some central bankers stopping in one of these days, getting <laughs> some tips there. And Scarlett, it's been a pleasure to meet you as well. And glad you're there to be with Ian this weekend. And just excited for both of you. And we'll wish you a congratulations on the new venture. And hopefully if people are in the area and want to go talk some gold and silver, they'll know where to find you on Saturday. And any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, thank you, Chris. Uh, just thank you for your dedication and your continued hard work in this scene. And it's been been fun and it's been hard. And I really, uh, I feel your genuineness and your sincerity. And it means a lot to a lot of people, Chris. So thank you for, for what you've done to date. Well, I appreciate that. That's kind of you to say that. And just trying to make some sense out of gold and silver and economics each day as we go along in the, fascinating place that our world has gone in so uh thank you both for being there again scarlet pleasure to meet you and uh hope you guys have a great time on saturday and everyone at home had fun watching and maybe they can stop by and see you there but either case you'll have to keep us posted on how it goes and do this again soon my friend thanks chris bye, bye, -bye. pleasure